This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. Audubon's Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary in Collier County has been an Audubon-protected site since the early 1900s and is considered a wetland of international importance. Science-based land management practices protect the sanctuary's 13,450 acres, including the world's largest remaining old-growth bald cypress forest. Corkscrew Swamp is home to a wide variety of plants and animals, including alligators, river otters, and many birds species, including the threatened wood stork. Roughly 100,000 people visit the sanctuaries, more than two miles of boardwalks each year, exploring the ancient forest and marsh habitat. There are cypress trees at Corkscrew that are more than 500 years old. On today's show, we're meeting the sanctuary's new director, Keith Lockinen. Keith is a Southwest Florida native with a background in watershed management, environmental policy, wildlife ecology, prescribed fire management, and more. With more than 20 years of environmental management experience as a public servant. Keith most recently worked for the Florida Department of Environmental Protection as director at Rookery Bay National Estuarine Research Reserve in Naples and as regional administrator for the FDEP Office of Resilience and Coastal Protection. I spoke with Mr. Lockinen last Thursday. Let's hear that conversation now. Keith Lockinen is the new director of Audubon Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary. Keith, welcome back to Gulf Coast Life. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So I understand you grew up in Southwest Florida. Where did you grow up and and how outdoorsy were you as a kid? Yeah, I was actually uh, born in Fort Myers and uh, spent most of my childhood in in Cape Coral. And uh, back in the day when uh, Cape Coral was a lot smaller, and I remember uh, riding my bike around and and seeing burrowing owls um, in the neighborhood and just being, you know, uh, really interested in the environment. And then got an opportunity as a child, actually, to go to Six Mile Swamp. And I remember um, standing neck deep in a swamp with a bunch of other school kids. And I think I was the only one that was really having a lot of fun doing it. And I just have always been passionate about the outdoors. I was always interested in, you know, the environment, the ecosystems around here. And just uh, grateful to have the opportunities to, you know, turn my passion into a career. When you went out to Six Mile Cypress, was uh, Bill Hammond at all associated with that trip? That was that was one of the trips. And I got to see him uh couple weeks ago. And it was, uh, it was really amazing because, you know, I think it really speaks to how important, you know, these experiences are for kids. They can really make a lasting difference. And so um, that's why, you know, I'm always excited about environmental education and, you know, getting, getting kids out in the environment, getting them to getting them a little bit wet and muddy, I think is is a great thing. Uh, So you went to UF, studied wildlife ecology. Was that your plan all along as you were heading toward college? Um, I actually just wanted to be a marine biologist. I don't know how I ended up uh, at, at, you know, being in more of a wildlife, wildlife ecology uh, track. But yeah, ended up ended up at UF and it was a it was a great experience. And it's actually the furthest north I've ever lived in my life was in Gainesville, Florida. (laughs) Huh. Um, So what was your first sort of, you know, real job in this field after you left college? My first real gig was uh, I was working actually for the Florida Game and Freshwater Fish Commission. Uh, This was back in 1998, and I was doing uh, alligator research on an internship at the Fish and Wildlife Co-op. And so I got this amazing job where uh, we get to fly around Central Florida, um, got to open up alligator nests, uh, bring the eggs back and hatch them out to see what the hatch rates were. Um, Also got an opportunity to do a diet study on uh, large American alligators, adults, um, in a couple of the lakes to determine if diet was influencing um, some health impacts on their on them. So 
just a really cool opportunity, you know, for a kid just fresh out of college, you know, flying around Central Florida on airboats, you know, chasing alligators. It was just a, just an amazing experience. And, you know, there was no turning back at that point. I know you've had some other roles over the years between uh, that one and your most recent as director at Rookery Bay National Estuarine Research Reserve. Uh, tell us about what you did there and how long you were there. Yeah, so I was there for uh, about seven and a half years. I was the director for Rookery Bay National Estuarine Research Reserve, as you mentioned. And, um, you know, it, it was a you know, really incredible place, incredible people, you know, uh, covered 110,000 acres there on, on the coast entry to the 10,000 islands. And so just an amazing opportunity to work uh, with the community, with visiting researchers, with students uh, to be able to implement the stewardship of these really important resources and, you know, not dissimilar from what we're doing out here at Corkscrew. So, um, you know, it was a, it was a absolutely wonderful place. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm blessed that I got to leave there and, and come to here and I'm, I'm still, um, little bit humbled over the whole thing. We'll get to the humbled part in just a little bit, but for, you know, for now, um, you're still new on the job there. You've only been there, what, you know, a couple weeks, basically? It's my third week. Third (laughs) week. So um, what would you say are the obvious similarities and the um, maybe some differences between this role and uh, the Rookery Bay director role? Well, the, uh, the, the, you know, the, most obvious difference is it certainly is less salty, <laughs> um, you know, definitely away from the coast here and being in this, uh, you know, freshwater wetland, which is the beating heart of this watershed is just really, it's just really different. You know, you're not driven by the tides, you're driven by a waterfall, you know, by rainfall, by the watershed, by these influences. But there's also a lot of similarities, um, you know, some of the work that they're doing in research here um, is being exported to other land managers or, um, around the region. You know, some work on uh, controlling willow in some of these wet prairies and marshes is really important and it is helping us sort of turn back the tide and keep some of these habitats intact and, and relatively restored. Um, but it's definitely going to take an active management approach. And that's one thing I think um, was similar to there and to here is, is really that science to management approach and how big a difference that makes in what we do. And moving forward here, you know, looking to uh, put together a land management plan similar to uh, what we did down there, that's really going to guide your management decisions. Not just That's not just things like, you know, controlling willow, prescribed fire and exotics, but that also speaks to, you know, your uh, public engagement with the community, with kids, you know, and, and outreach and education and how you can get people really motivated and excited to help protect the special place. What are your first memories of Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary? Gosh, I, it's interesting because growing up down here, Corkscrew's just always been there. You know, it, it's always been, a, it's always been a place. And I probably visited uh, a, a ton of times as a kid with my family. Um, but recently I'm a birder. So uh, Corkscrew stands out for me there. And so um, I've been a member here for, you know, a long, long time. And coming out here, especially during spring and fall migration, birding is just an um, amazing opportunity. You come out from one day to the next. You don't know what you're going to see, whether it's, you know, uh, warblers and, you know, cuckoos moving through or, you know, you're on the boardwalk one day and all of a sudden you hear you hear some a little bit of commotion. There's a family of otters that have just taken shop on the boardwalk and are just having a, a good otter day out there. And uh, so it's it's really amazing. And I just think about these memories of 
coming to visit here. And now when I go out on the boardwalk, you know, I think, gosh, I get to work here now. You know, you're quoted as describing Corkscrew as one of the most important and legendary conservation areas in all of Southwest Florida. Can you explain why it's so important and legendary as you described it? Yeah. So um, if you go back in time, you know, the first Audubon wardens uh, really were out here in 1905 and they were helping protect the wood storks, you know, obviously during the plume hunting days. And anybody who's uh, who understands the history of, of, you know, ecological protection in South Florida knows how, you know, how devastating that plume hunting was to our wading bird populations. And so, you know, in the early 1900s, Audubon was out here, you know, putting folks to task helping, you know, protect the wading birds, uh, wood storks and other things that nested here, you know, from ultimately being hunted to extinction. And then again, in the 1940s and 50s, um, you know, when South Florida was under the logging boom, you know, this place was was in the crosshairs of some loggers. And, you know, the community really got together and the National Audubon Society stepped in and helped protect this really important place. As a result, this is the largest strand of old growth cypress forest. And we have trees here that are over 500 years old, you know, and if you go out there, you just, you know, see these massive trees and you just think, you know, what they have seen in their lifetime, what has happened on the landscape. And so it really is a legendary place for me from a wetland standpoint, but also when you go out on this boardwalk, you can sort of close your eyes and you can picture, you know, this is what it, this is what South Florida looked like, you know, 500 years ago. There's a, a great boardwalk trail for people who haven't been out there. How long is that trail? And, and and as a side note, I just popped into my head, how did things go out there during Hurricane Ian? Yeah, that's a great question. The trail's about, uh, we have a short version and a long version. The longer version is just over 2.2 miles, and it, it takes you um, through a, ver- a variety of different habitats from marsh to the, uh, to the edge of the cypress swamp and overlook of the uh, central marsh and willow and back through lettuce lakes. And then we have a short loop as well, you know, for those who um, aren't as able or don't have as much time to go as far, just over a mile. So um, just amazing opportunities for people to get out there and see this place. And, you know, it helps us really get folks, you know, um, the ability to to bird this place, to see this place without impacting the swamp around them. Um, great question about Hurricane Ian, right? Um, you know, if you live in Southwest Florida, you can sort of mark your years by hurricanes. And uh, Ian was was uh, was no exception. Um, Ian, you know, as, as you know, made its biggest impact, you know, and up the coast here. A lot of Collier County, we got, you know, tropical storm force winds, which compared to Hurricane Irma wasn't that terrible here. But the important thing is Corkscrew Swamp did its job during Hurricane Ian. We captured a lot of rainfall. There was over 15 inches of rainfall in the area. And that brought the swamp levels up really nice and high. And when you think about all the impacts a hurricane can have um, or heavy rainfall can have, it's great to have this this natural infrastructure, you know, in your backyard, this green bank where you can put water in there to keep it, you know, from flooding people's homes, to keep it on the landscape. And so you're not just sending it out to the Gulf of Mexico, but keeping it into the watershed. And so we can help, you know, reduce things like wildfires over the course of the years if we, you know, keep some of that water in the swamp, but also reduce flooding. 
I'd like to take a moment to reintroduce my guest. Keith Lockinen is the new director of Audubon Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary in Collier County. He's a Southwest Florida native who has worked his entire career on environmental and ecosystem management issues, most recently as director at Rookery Bay National Estuarine Research Reserve in Naples. If you'd like to engage with us about today's show, just find us on Facebook or on Twitter. Um, I understand the wood storks are back this year. Is that accurate? Yes, uh, one of our folks was able to do an overflight uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they did see uh, um, several wood storks that were um, it looked like they were sitting on nests and nesting postures. So um, we're really crossing our fingers and hoping that um, it's going to be a good nesting year. And one of the things that we think may help us out is that extra rainfall that we had with Hurricane Ian may keep water in some of these wetlands a little bit longer so that the wood storks are able to forage in these areas and successfully feed their young through the course of the dry season as we get further in towards summer. Can you explain the the importance of corkscrew as a wood stork rookery, historically speaking, especially? Yeah, um, corkscrew was was the biggest nesting population of, of uh, wood storks, I think, pretty much anywhere in the southeast. And so what we've seen over time is that the wood storks were able to persist here where they're not persisted other places. And part of that was, as I mentioned earlier, the Audubon wardens coming out and helping protect those wood storks from the plume hunters. The other thing that's really important um, is uh, Dr. Sean Clem, our research coordinator here, recently had a conversation um, with somebody from the Fish and Wildlife Service that said, you know, corkscrew may have saved the wood storks. And when you think about, you know, in the in the 50s, 60s, 70s, as as over drainage was impacting parts of the Everglades, you know, there were less and less places for wood storks to successfully forage and nest. And during that time, we had a real boom of wood storks nesting here. And so uh, the numbers may have reduced here over time, but now we have population expansion into places in the southeast, which includes South Carolina, and North Carolina. So if you think about the value of a place like Corkscrew, it's not only, you know, from year to year, but it can be also over these longer cycles of population that maybe allows wildlife to have a little bit of refugio to get a to get a foothold to maybe recoup and be able to move on and expand other places. So, um, you know, the wood stork, I think, is synonymous with the work that we do here at Corkscrew. You know, I went through, you know, in preparing for this, um, I found a WGCU documentary. Actually, it would have been WSFP because it was pre-WGCU, but it was locally produced documentary on Corkscrew from the early 90s. Uh, They walked around with a warden named Paul Hinchcliffe, and they were talking about woodstorks. So this is from the early 90s perspective. And he said that the prior year, they only had 310 pair of wood storks fledging 470 young. And that is in compared to 1961 when they had 6,000 pairs of wood storks fledging 17,000 young. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Oh, yeah. It must have been just wonderful, noisy chaos with lots of feathers floating around. If you've ever been near um, any kind of wading bird colony, it's just a cacophony of all these different noises. And, you know, seeing these, you know, birds coming in and coming out different times of the day, you know, whether they're building nests or bringing in forage and, you know, seeing the seeing the chicks, you know, rear up and, you know, learning to fly and moving out. It's really it really brings home how important, you know, a place like Corkscrew can be for the 
you know, continual existence of these species, which are really so iconic in South Florida and really in conservation. Are those numbers unrealistic to think that we could ever get there again or with enough proper restoration and protection? Could that could you see that happening again? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go glass half full there. I think uh, the work that not only Corkscrew has been doing, but, you know, all our partners, the Water Management District, Fish and Wildlife Commission, you know, um, so many partners on the landscape, DEP, you know, Lee County, Collier County, all these folks are doing all these restoration projects. They're doing all these things to help keep water on the landscape at the right time of year. They're helping control, you know, invasive exotic plants. They're helping prescribe fire. They're doing restoration. And so I think all these things cumulatively are going to make a difference over time. You know, um, will we get those wood stork numbers back over time? I don't know. I certainly hope so. But the thing that brings me hope is that wood storks are being successful in other parts of South Florida. You know, so I think it's not only the wood storks, but it's also all those other gorgeous wading birds, you know, that, you know, people really think about, you know, South Florida and really think about the Everglades, how important all these cumulative restoration actions are. And, you know, not even, you know, not even forgetting about, you know, bigger conservation efforts that local citizens can have, land acquisition. I mean, all these things additively from the community standpoint are so important to all these species. Um, I know you've had a few months of, of lower than average rainfall out there uh, post Ian, obviously. Um, you know, how is the overall water situation out there? Um, you know, is Corkscrew getting enough water? Is it at risk at all of, of not getting enough? This year, we're doing pretty good. Uh, the hurricane certainly uh, helped us out. Um, and having a little bit of drawdown this time of year also is helping us achieve some of our prescribed fire goals. Uh, to really get in and, you know, put some fire in the landscape after, you know, kind of our follow-up, you know, finishing touch on some of these restoration pieces. Um, you know, there's always a concern anytime I think you're in South Florida about, you know, long-term, long-term water on the landscape. And, you know, we really continue to work with our partners with the Water Management District and the county and others to figure out ways that we can continue to serve, you know, as that place that we can keep water in the landscape keep the swamp healthy and strong, you know, and also do things like reduce the risk of damaging wildfires, right? So, you know, if these, if these places, these wetlands hold water the way they're supposed to, they're going to reduce the risk of those damaging wildfires that not only could threaten corkscrew, but also, you know, people who live out here, you know, in these, in these areas, you know, I live in Golden Gate Estates and I've seen a couple of wildfires in my time and I'm always, you know, happy to see when there's water in corkscrew swamp, it means, you know, hopefully it's going to reduce some of those risk of those big fires in the landscape. You know, you mentioned earlier in the show about being humbled to take that role. We talked with Ed Carlson on this show back in 2019. He was director out there for, I don't know, like 40 years or something like that. And he spent more years than that out there. And he talked about having such an intimate knowledge of that landscape, like knowing the trees practically, you know, personally. Can you imagine, you know, being out there so long that you have that level of intimate knowledge and what that would be like? Yeah, um, I certainly hope I can be around as long as Ed was. Um, you know, he, he's certainly, you know, a conservation giant in this area. And that, that's why I said it's it, it's humbling to be part of that. But, you know, um, having seen this place and, and certainly, you know, being in Southwest Florida um, in the conservation field for so long, it's really nice for me because, you know, 
ecology is ecology, you know, and you know how water flows across the landscape, how ecosystems respond and how we can manage to protect these places and really steward them for the future. So um, I'm looking forward to having that. I certainly, there are this boardwalk, there are spots that I know, like at the back of my hand, you know, I can point to a spot and say, you know, that's where I saw a hooded warbler, you know, that's where I saw a very, you know, or that's where I saw, you know, black-billed cuckoos, you know, several years ago in Lettuce Lakes. So um, I just love being able to, you know, really make it, make it personal for not only myself, but for anyone visiting, they can really have that connection with the place. And I think it's that sense of place, which is so important. You mentioned you're an avid birder. That must just be great to just be around so many. I mean, I know you were around birds at Rookery Bay too, but this is a different kind of being around birds, I think. Yeah. And I've been trying to tamp down a little bit of that as I'm starting here, because it can certainly be distracting when you're, <laughs> when you're out here, um, you're talking to somebody and you see something fly over, but um, yeah, looking forward to spending more time out here, especially as spring migration starts uh, cranking up here, you know, in March and April. Um, like you said, you never know what it's, what you're going to see out here. And certainly um, I'll be happy to contribute, you know, to bird lists and to things like that. So others, not only myself, but others can be able to come out and enjoy, you know, this amazing spectacle of migration every year. Uh, last question. Um, a ghost orchid. Uh, Corkscrew is known for being home to a ghost orchid. Is it is it still out there? Is it is it perhaps in bloom? What can you tell us about the ghost orchid? Yeah, I'm not sure if they're in bloom right now, but they are definitely happy and they're definitely very healthy. Well, I don't know if you can say happy with a plant, but they're definitely healthy. Um, and, you know, the, the mega ghost orchid we have out here is just it really definitely is, is a is a major bloomer. And, you know, the thing that's really important for that, and we also have several others, you know, that are visible at certain times of the year from the boardwalk in the distance. And, and I think that's, you know, that ghost orchid would not exist but for corkscrew and but for the swamp because you keep that water in there and you keep that microclimate, which is so important for these really iconic orchids. You know, I mean, this is, you know, one of the most famous orchids, you know, I think in in all of United States, if not parts of the world. I mean, the ghost orchid just has such a lineage. And, you know, when it's out here in bloom, you know, definitely come take an opportunity, even when I'm, you know, out here with binoculars, I'm going to stop and I'm going to take every moment to enjoy the spectacle of ghost orchids in bloom. All right. Well, that is all the time we have, but I want to thank my guest. Keith Lockenden is the new director of Audubon Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary. Keith, thank you so much for your time and good luck in this new role. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You can find links to the early 90s public television documentary I mentioned earlier on our website, wgcu.org gcl. It's a neat slice of local conservation history, and I encourage you to check it out. If you missed any of the show today, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website or wherever you find podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I might connect. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.